So we're going to be taking a break from our study or for our, from our look into the Sermon on the Mount this week, uh, as we have been doing for the last several weeks. Uh, we're going to be taking a break from that, but we are going to be remaining uh, within the Gospel of Matthew. So if this happens to be your first time with us, uh, let me explain to you, however, that uh, we have been covering the Sermon on the Mount pretty much since, uh, since the beginning of the year. I think we may have touched on it uh, towards the end of December initially, uh, but that's been our primary focus um, in these first few weeks of 2021. And our purpose for that is we're learning to love like Jesus. We're diving, or we have been diving into the Sermon on the Mount for the one purpose, and that is to learn to love as Jesus loves. We see how Jesus loves through his words, through his teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. We see his directives. We see many of his commandments. And we utilize this scripture. We utilize this very, very, the most well-known sermon of Christ. And we embrace these words as a means to understand and to live out what it looks like to love like Jesus. And um, like I said, we're going to be taking a break from that this week. Uh, because I want to focus on another large aspect of the gospel, or I want to focus on another large aspect of Christianity in general. Because there's two things, there are two themes, or there are two means, or there are two ways that I happen to believe are the absolute utmost priority in my personal Christian life. Two things that I believe are of the highest priority in how I personally live out my Christian life. I don't do a great job with it all the time, but I do believe that they are, again, for the third time, our number one and two priorities, <laughs> although they are not, although they carry equal weight as far as I'm concerned. And I try to teach these things, and I try to preach these things, and I try to preach these ideas, not only because they're applicable to my personal life, but because I believe and I believe the church as a whole throughout history has believed that these things are the very essence of what Christianity is. Two things, two themes, two sources that encompass everything that Christianity is and, and, and explain to us and lay the foundation for us as to how we live our Christian faith into the world. And I believe that for a number of reasons, but the number one reason that I believe these things and that I teach these things and that I believe the church has taught these things is because they are prescribed by Jesus himself. They are given to us through the very words of Christ in the Gospels. At this point, if you are a member of Broxton or Oak Grove United Methodist, you're very familiar um, with one of these at least. <laughs> and that is... Uh, the, uh, what we call the Great Commandments, or what is oftentimes referred to as the Great Commandments. It is, it is what we have been talking throughout, about throughout our journey uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And we have had entire whole sermon series that have focused on the Great Commandments. And they are the focus of scriptures that I have talked about and that I've preached about many, many, many times. If you don't happen to know these, let me explain it to you real quick. Jesus was asked at one point in his lifetime, what was the greatest commandment? And again, if you are a part of Broxton United Methodist, you are very familiar now with how Jesus responded to this. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, 
with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And he said there is another that is just like it, or there is another commandment that carries the same amount of weight. There is another commandment that is equal to loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. So that's one thing. That is one theme. That is one means uh, that I believe, and I believe the church has taught throughout the centuries, that contain the very essence of what Christianity is and how we live that out. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. For today, though, we're going to shift from the great commandments. We're going to shift from those ideas to a certain degree anyway. And we're going to shift over to something the church has often referred to. You may, If you are a part of a church, you've probably heard this expression before or this identifier before. We're going to shift over to something that we call the Great Commission. The Great Commission. It is the mission of the church. It is the mission of the church that was given by Jesus Christ himself, following his resurrection, to his disciples. Church, we do have a mission. I think that's something that we oftentimes have glossed over. I think that's something that maybe we haven't been taught a lot because of our focus on ourselves, because of our focus on our individualism. We forget that the church is a body and that we are small parts, individual parts of a larger body. The local church, the global church, we are all one. Individually, we are small parts of that larger body. And again, I think that we have failed very badly a lot of times in teaching and applying this. That we are a church that has been sent on a mission. Again, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, this is probably very familiar to you. Certainly if you have attended Broxton United Methodist or if you have attended uh, Oak Grove United Methodist, it should be very familiar. I've quoted the following scripture uh, containing the Great Commission probably on numerous occasions. I know for a fact that I've preached on this same text uh, at least one time. And I'm not preaching on it today because I'm lazy. I'm preaching on it today because I believe it is just absolutely that important for us to remember, for us to soak in, for us to take in, and for us to live out in our lives this very, very important number one calling and directive of Jesus Christ. Now you can find the Great Commission in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. If you happen to have a Bible, if you happen to have a smartphone with a Bible app, any access that you happen to have, Read along with me, if you will. So in the 28th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, it's the last few verses in the book, starting in verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16 reads, 16 through 20, 16 all the way through the end of, through the, end of the book. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Again, these are the last recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. This is the mission that he gives his followers. This is the mission that he gives his church today. These are our marching orders. A lot of times when you hear this particular scripture quoted, it's interesting to me. A lot of times when you hear this scripture quoted, it's only halfway quoted. <laughs> a lot of times when you hear people use this scripture, they will utilize all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The second part of this, Jesus says, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That last part, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Learning and teaching to obey the commandments of Christ. This is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And it also represents what I think, what I believe, is one of the most, if not the most, neglected current aspects of the global church, at least the church in America. I want to point out again that word disciples. Go into all the earth, therefore, go and make disciples. Remember that. Remember that over the next few minutes. Such a very important word. Making disciples of all nations. Baptizing them. Teaching them to obey. That word disciple you will find about 270 times throughout the New Testament. That's how many times that word appears. You will find the word Christian a grand total of three times in the entirety of the Bible. Because initially the word Christian was not used by the disciples. That's not how they identified themselves. They didn't call themselves Christians in the beginning. They called themselves two things. They called themselves followers of the way, and they called themselves disciples. The word Christian was actually introduced initially by people outside the faith who used the word to identify those who were followers of Jesus Christ. Disciples called themselves disciples. Jesus called his followers disciples. As we see in our scripture today, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Why do you mention that, Jerry? Why do you mention that, Pastor? What's the big deal there? Because unfortunately, we, as a larger church, have settled for the label Christian. 
Well, what's the big deal with that? Of course we're Christians. Of course we're Christians. However, Christian can mean a lot of things in today's society. Christian can mean a lot of things in today's culture. It's very easy to call myself a Christian. It's very easy. Here's a, here's a more modern term that I hear tossed around a lot these days. It's very easy to call myself a believer. We can call ourselves Christians, and we can call ourselves believers, and we can pretty much embrace whatever we want to embrace. We can be Catholic Christians. We can be Methodist Christians. We can be Baptist Christians. We can be Pentecostal Christians, Pentecostal believers. We can be non-denominational believers, non-denominational Christians. And we can pretty much figure out ways to be and do whatever it is we want to be and do. If we want to ignore certain aspects of the Bible, certain aspects of Scripture, we can do that. If we want to know, ignore certain aspects of what Jesus commands us to do, we can ignore that. And we can still call ourselves Christians. We can still call ourselves believers. But when we start using that word disciples, when we start referring to ourselves and thinking of ourselves and acting as if we are disciples... That takes it to a whole new level. Because being a disciple is a much more definitive and absolute description of what it means to be a Christian. Of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Go into all the nations, make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. What is a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, a disciple is a learner. A disciple is an adherent. A disciple is an apprentice. A disciple is someone who mimics the ways of his master. Certainly in our case, our master is Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us under no... Jesus tells us very plainly in our scriptures today what a disciple is, and what a disciple does when he instructs our followers, his followers, to do this. Teach them all, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's why I've kept repeating this verse several times since beginning the sermon. Go and make disciples. What is a disciple? One who learns and obeys all that Jesus has commanded us. Now that sets the bar a little bit higher for us, doesn't it? There's not a whole lot of wiggle room in that area. When we start talking about being disciples of Christ, not Christians, and I'll get to that in a second, not just Christians, not just believers, but disciples. Disciples who learn, live out, and teach the commandments of Jesus Christ. Teaching others and, of course, ourselves embracing obedience to these commandments. I can be a Christian and I can believe a lot of things. And I can do a lot of things. But when I start being a disciple, 
There's not, all, there's, again, there's not a whole lot of wiggle room. There's not a whole lot of space for us to get around. The bar is certainly set higher. A lot of times I will reference a gentleman by the name of Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard was a Baptist pastor, and he was a theologian and a philosopher uh, who passed away a number of years ago. He's an excellent writer, uh, but he, uh, he writes oftentimes, or he wrote oftentimes, about this similar subject on discipleship. And here's how he defined what a disciple is. Jesus defined it as this in our scriptures today, and I'm going to repeat it again. Jesus defined disciple as somebody who obeys the commandments they have been taught. Dallas Willard said this. He said, a disciple is a person who has decided the most important thing in life is to learn how to do what Jesus said do. I think outside of Jesus Christ himself, this is probably the most concise and best definition that I can give for what a disciple of Jesus is. Not a believer, not just a Christian, not just a believer, but a disciple. A person who has decided that the most important thing in life is to be and do the things that Jesus said to be and do. I hope you see how that makes a difference. I hope you see how that makes a difference in how we define ourselves. I hope you see how that makes a difference in how we define Christianity and how we define what it means to be Christian in general. We can call ourselves Christians. It's just how we're breaking down. We can call ourselves Christians and we can call ourselves believers and not be disciples. That's very easy to do. We can call ourselves Christians. We can call ourselves believers. And we can call ourselves disciples. But we cannot call ourselves disciples. Here's the thing, though. You can't be a disciple and not be a believer. Just for clarity's purposes. You can't be a disciple of Jesus Christ and not be a Christian. You can't be a disciple and not be a believer. But you can certainly be a believer, a Christian, and not be a disciple. Defining ourselves in these ways oftentimes simply allows us to justify and to excuse our failure or our resistance to following the commandments of Jesus Christ. Look at what we've been talking about these last few weeks. Look at the focus of our sermons over the last several weeks as we've journeyed through the Sermon on the Mount. Think about the idea of radical forgiveness. Think about the ideas of loving our enemies. Think about the ideas, the commandments of Jesus. Not to seek retaliation or revenge. Think of the commandments of Jesus regarding turning the other cheek. Think of the commandments of Jesus. Here's one for American culture. To recognize and to avoid the material wealth that pulls us away from our love for God and for others. Think of the commandments of Jesus on how we treat the poor and how we treat the marginalized among us. You see, we can't be disciples and simply look at the Sermon on the Mount as just a lot of nice platitudes or just a lot of nice ideas. These are commandments of Christ that we are called to embrace as what? 
disciples. And there's a reason for this, I believe. It's not, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of finger pointing that could be done, but there's a reason that I believe, and I've probably have, have, have just about worn this out to a degree among, among our congregations, but there's a reason that I believe this has happened in our churches. Another author that I read a lot, his name is Scott McKnight, and uh, he talks a lot about a justification culture versus a discipleship culture. A justification culture versus a discipleship culture in the church. Again, y'all have heard me talk about this probably numerous of times. As a matter of fact, I think I even touched on it within the last week or two. Uh, but once more, this is so important that I think that it needs to, be, needs to be discussed a lot. I think it needs to be understood, and I think that it needs to be embraced. What's a justification culture, Jerry? A justification culture, I would argue, is the primary culture that we have in churches in America today. It's our dominant culture. It's our dominant culture that tells us this. It says this is the gospel. This is the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ lived, that he died for our sins, that he was resurrected, and if we believe in him, we get to go be with him and we get to live in heaven for eternity. Make no mistakes, folks. This is a part of the gospel, but this is not by any stretch of the imagination the entire gospel. This is a gospel that would not have been understood by the early Christians. It certainly would not have been taught. This is a half gospel, but it is the one that we have come to embrace on the whole. That Christianity is all about believing in one thing so we can get to heaven when we die. That's not it. Jesus. Jesus told us this. You see, the gospel is Jesus. The gospel is the entire story of Jesus from his birth to his resurrection. Following the resurrection. Following his resurrection. Today we read in the scriptures his last directives to the church. Go and make disciples. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. This is the gospel, along with believing in the death and the atonement and the resurrection. Of course, we get to spend eternity with Christ, with God, at some point. That is, of course, a part of it, but it's not the entirety of it, and Christ says so himself. Christ's last directive, last words in the gospel of Matthew are for us, the church, on mission. To go and make other disciples and teaching them to obey all that we have, he has commanded us. The gospel includes discipleship. The gospel includes discipleship. It's what we read today in the scriptures. Make note of this. Jesus did not tell his people. And he doesn't tell us to go and make believers. He tells us to be and go and make disciples. Do our churches look like churches who are full of disciples? Do our churches look like churches who are at least, at bare minimum, seeking the Holy Spirit's help, seeking God's help to be able to live out the commandments of Christ? Is there a desire to live out the commandments of Christ? Is there a desire to love our enemies? 
Is there a desire to practice radical mercy, radical love, these types of things that we read, these commandments of Jesus? I would say probably not on the whole. Probably not on the whole. I want to conclude by reading you some words again from Dallas Willard, who I mentioned earlier. This is from a book that, uh, that Dallas Willard wrote a number of years ago. And I want you to keep that in mind as well. This book was actually written in 1999. So you're talking 20, 20 21 years ago. And what Dallas writes here goes along perfectly with what we're talking about today. And these are hard and difficult words for us to swallow. But what I ask of you is that you listen. That you not just hear what I'm saying. That you not just hear these words, but that you actually listen to these words. Try to absorb these words. Try to allow these words to permeate your heart without prejudice. And as hard as they are for us to swallow, I don't think many of you will be able to disagree with them. And again, this was written in 1999. He writes, For at least the last several decades, the churches of the Western world have not made discipleship a condition of being a Christian. One is not required to be or to intend to be a disciple in order to become a Christian. And one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress toward or in discipleship. Contemporary American churches in particular do not require following Christ in his example, spirit, and teachings as a condition of membership either of entering into or continuing in fellowship of a denomination or a local church. So far as the visible Christian institutions of our day are concerned, discipleship clearly is optional. Churches are filled with undiscipled disciples. Most problems in contemporary churches can be explained by the fact that members have not yet decided to follow Christ. If you happen to be United Methodist, our book of discipline, which is uh, basically our book of our understandings of, of theology and, and doctrine, states this. It states the following as the mission of our church. It says the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. How are we doing with that? Not just United Methodist. Across the board, how are we doing with that? Or are our, our churches, as Dallas Willard said, filled with undiscipled disciples.
I want to give you two ideas to continue exploring this in the upcoming week, upcoming weeks, if you would like to do so, and I would encourage you to do so. Two suggestions. First of all, as I've repeated a number of times this morning, Jesus Christ directed us, directed his church to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. I want you to go through the Gospel of Matthew. I want you to look, I want you to read the entire Gospel of Matthew. And I want you to list all of the things that Jesus Christ commanded us to do. Throughout the book, chapter 1 to chapter 28, I want you to mark and I want you or and or list every single commandment of Jesus that you come across. And once you get done with this list, what you're going to find is that you have a very firm grounding of what the Christian life should look like according to Jesus. You should have a very firm grounding of what it looks like to truly be a disciple according to the very words of Christ himself. Number two, we talked about self-examination last week. So that's another thing that I would encourage you guys to do. And when doing so, ask yourself this question. Is Jesus truly the Lord of my life? Is Jesus truly the Lord of my life? Oftentimes we refer to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But in practice, many, many times, we only act like He is our Savior. Because a Lord is a person that you follow. A Lord is someone as we, that we see has authority over us. And we do what the Lord says. A lot of us act like Jesus is not our Lord. So ask yourselves that. Is Jesus truly Lord of my life? How much of my life have I truly submitted to the authority of Christ? What areas have I submitted? In what areas am I holding back? More importantly, why? Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you so much for the gift of salvation. We thank you, Lord, that we are redeemed through the death, the resurrection, the atonement of Jesus Christ. God, we also thank you for the teachings of Christ. We thank you, God, that through his words, through his actions, we can know the very character of God. We know your character. We know your thoughts. We know your directives through our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear God, help us to put aside our selfish desires. Help us to put aside our selfish motivations, intentions. Help us, God, to simply, to not simply seek to be believers, but as you directed to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, no matter the cost. We pray all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen.